0: Well for this Christmas series we have uh, started each sermon talking about some memorable supporting characters that we see in classic Christmas movies that we watch this time of year. I made a mention I made mention of a few over the past 2 weeks. 2 weeks ago we talked about Clarence Oddbody from It's a Wonderful Life. Y'all you know the The movie you know about Clarence, right? A very important character in that story. Uh, We talked about the... uh, That's not Clarence, by the way. We'll talk about him in a moment. Y'all that know the story know that as well. Uh, We talked about the uh, spirits of uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol last week. We talked about the Who's in Whoville. But today I want to change it up a little bit, as you can see, and talk about some supporting characters who were villains in well-known Christmas stories that that the well-known Christmas movies that we watch each and every year like this guy here Mr Potter right y'all remember him who know the story of it's a wonderful life He is an awful character in that story But a very very important character and uh, we looked at these two guys last week look at the next one here we got we got Harry and Marv, right and uh, They they try to come off as being ferocious villains, but but we know what happens when uh, they fall into the hands of a child Kevin uh, they, they endure some very very excruciatingly painful things but these classic villains they help make these Christmas stories what they are as well right well if you have your Bibles turn to Matthew chapter 2 today we're going to focus in on some real villains in the Christmas story we're going to be camping out In verses 1 through 12 this morning, we have been uh, looking at some some key players over the, the, the past couple of weeks in God's Christmas story. Two weeks ago, we talked about an unlikely priest, an obscure virgin woman, and an important messenger of the Lord from Luke chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the first witnesses and messengers for the Messiah the story of the the shepherd and the angels, right, in Luke chapter 2. And today we're going to focus on a few villains of this story and some worshipful wise men as well in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew 2, Matthew is jumping forward in the story of the Christmas story. This is after he tells of the birth of Jesus a few years after, as you can imagine, After this key event in a barn in Bethlehem, after the shepherds go out and begin spreading the word about the Messiah, there there is a a response that happens, some of it positive, but some of it negative as well. And we're going to look at some of the negative responses to this child, Jesus. And that should not surprise us, right, that there is a negative response. This has always been the way it is with Christ. From his birth and its death, the way it is today as well. There has always been a mixed response when it comes to the Christmas story and when it comes to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at these different responses. First, I want you to notice the wicked king who opposed Jesus. The first response to Jesus, the wicked king was opposed to Jesus. Look at verse 1. Matthew tells us now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw this star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, Many of y'all who are familiar with this story, you know about King Herod, right? He was not a good guy. He was an evil king. And we don't just learn about that from Scripture, but we learn about that from history as well. Extra-biblical historical sources tell us that Herod was a wicked man, an evil ruler. Here's how evil he was. Sources tell us that he killed one of his wives... And two of his sons, because he was suspicious of them, he believed that they were trying to take his throne. So his paranoia and his obsession with power led him to kill his wife and his two sons. Caesar Augustus said this of Herod. He said, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. How about that to say about a dad? Meaning that pigs had a lot better chance of survival in the household of Herod. Why? Because what he valued more than anything, what he loved more than anything was his throne. That was his number one priority, his first love, his kingship, his, his power. And he didn't think twice about taking anyone out no matter who they were if they were a threat to his rule. Now here's what's interesting. Though Herod at this time... Was functioning as the king of the Jews he himself was not a Jew Herod was not a descendant of Jacob he was a descendant of Esau Herod was an Edomite yet he was appointed by the Roman government to rule over the Jews so Herod is the king of the Jews in title but he himself is not Jewish he was not in the royal line and that truth is very very important for our story today look at verse two notice that when the magi come and we're going to talk about the magi more in just a moment they ask about jesus they ask where is the one who is born king of the jews underline that word born words are important in scripture do you know that need to pay attention to them you see that word born that's key Again, Herod was not born king of the Jews. He was appointed by Rome. And, and here come these wise men from the east, and they're asking, where is he who is born king of the Jews? So, so picture this. You have this appointed king of the Jews who is not even Jewish, who loves his rule more than anything else, and you have this group of, of men From a long way off who come to Jerusalem and they they basically say hey Herod where's the true king where is the one who's been born king of the Jews now how do you think that sat with Herod he loved his rule more than his own kids who loved it so much he put them to death and his his wife too to keep his rule. How do you think Herod is going to respond when these foreigners come strolling into town and say, hey, where is this special baby who has been born king of the Jews? It's not going to sit well with him, is it? Why? He's the king. It's his throne. He's not okay with a baby being born who is going to grow up one day and take it away. So what does he do in response? He devises a very wicked plan. And Matthew tells us about this plan later in this passage. We'll discuss that in just a moment, but I want to show you something else first. Skip down to verse 7. Matthew says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, for those of you all who are familiar with Herod and familiar with the story, you know Herod has no plans of worshiping that baby, right? But the wise men didn't know that at the time. It was not until later in the story Matthew tells us that that the wise men are warned in a dream not to go back and report to Herod because he had evil intentions. Instead, they're told to go home a different route, which is what they do. And down in verse 16, skip down there and look at it. When Herod learns he's been tricked by the wise men, he becomes furious. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that, had been, that, had, that he had ascertained from the wise men. So we see here how truly wicked Herod is and the real reason for him wanting to know the whereabouts of Jesus because he wanted to kill him. In this passage, we're told that Herod was so furious that he had been tricked by these men. He was so furious with the fact that there was this baby out there that people were calling king of the Jews that he does the unthinkable. He doesn't just try and track this one baby down and take him out. That would be bad enough. But no, he he shows who's really on the throne, who really has the power. He says, I'm going to take out all the baby boys, around this baby's age. Can you imagine? I'm going to take out all the male children that are two years of age and under. And again, he probably does this for two reasons. One, to make sure he gets his man, but two, to show the Jewish people no child is going to come up through the ranks and take away my throne. Now, why two years of age or under? Well, notice the the end of verse 16. This was taken from the information that Herod had received. So Matthew indicates to us here that roughly two years had passed since the birth of Jesus. So Herod is going off of that information and he is trying to locate and get rid of this child. So what we learn about Herod is that he is strongly opposed to To this baby right he is a a wicked king he's he's the first real villain of the Christmas story but unlike the goofy villains that we have today in our classic Christmas movies we watch every year Herod was seriously wicked he was an evil individual Why was Herod opposed to Jesus? Why was he opposed to this story of this miraculous conception and virgin birth? Why is he against this child who people say is born king of the Jews? Get this. This is very, very important. Jesus was a threat to Herod's throne. He was a threat to Herod's throne. Herod was the king. And he wanted things to stay that way. He didn't like anyone coming along who was going to threaten his rule, which is why he is opposed to Jesus. And guess what? That goes for people in our world today and the reason why they are opposed to him as well. If many are honest, they would have to admit, I want to be the king of my life. I want to sit on my own throne I want to be my own authority. Many don't like the idea of someone else coming in to take away their rule, which is why they're opposed to Jesus, because when he comes, he comes as king. He comes to rule in our hearts and lives. That's what he calls for. That's why he came. He came to be Lord of your life and mine. And requires nothing less than us bowing our knee to him and surrendering our lives and giving it up and over to him. That's what Christ calls for. Scripture is clear. There's only one of two responses to him. Only one of two ways to take Jesus. You either worship him and follow him and serve him as king, you make him your Lord or you reject him. One of two ways to take him. What's your response to Jesus going to be today? Have you responded to him? Have you made him Lord of your life? Have you gotten up off the throne, your little throne in the kingdom of self, and have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? Have you made him your Lord, that's why He came. That's what Christmas is all about. If not, I pray you would today. That's a proper way to respond this time of year. That's a proper way to respond to this message. Make Christ Lord. So that's the first villain we look at in this story. You have the wicked king who rejected Jesus. Notice the second group. In this passage, Matthew shows us that there was also a group of people who were unresponsive, uninterested, and indifferent to Jesus. And get this it's the religious people of all people, the religious leaders, the priests, the teachers, the scribes. So, in addition to the wicked king who rejected Jesus, you have the indifferent religious leaders who did not care one way or another. They were indifferent to Jesus. Think about what we have here. Think about this. We have Herod in Jerusalem, and the wise men travel first to Jerusalem. They don't go immediately to Bethlehem. They go to Jerusalem first. They go to Herod. They say, hey, we've heard about this baby who has been born king of the Jews. Can you tell us about him? Where we can find him? Can you tell us where he is? Herod doesn't know, but he wants to. So he says, I'll bring in some religious leaders and see if they know, and, and they do know the whereabouts of the Messiah. Look at Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he gathers them all in, He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So Herod calls in the religious people. He calls for them all chief priests, scribes, everybody. He asks them, do you know about this? Do you have information on this? And notice the answer they give. They know their Bible, right? They quote Micah. Micah 5.2 says, it tells about the whereabouts of Jesus, that he is to be born in Bethlehem. And they state the fact that, that this person who is going to come, who's going to be born in Bethlehem, is going to be ruler and shepherd of God's people now I want you to notice this this is very interesting these religious people knew where this baby was to be born they knew the town verse 6 it's Bethlehem these religious leaders they knew God's word they were aware of the fact that there is this special baby to be born to born in Bethlehem and guess how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem six miles six miles away what are they doing? You have to think. That after, after two years, they have heard the rumors that were spreading about what happened with the shepherds and the fulfillment of Micah 5. We know that they made it known. And even if they didn't know, they knew now because the Magi was there. Yet they don't either, ever go check it out, do they? They're just hanging out in Jerusalem completely indifferent about the goings-on in Bethlehem, sharing with this evil king about this prophecy of the birthplace of the Messiah. You have this incredible event that has taken place that shepherds and others have witnessed and have shared throughout the land. You have these religious leaders sitting in Jerusalem six miles away doing absolutely positively nothing. Indifferent about the news. Probably well aware of the rumors. If not, they were now. With the appearance of these magi, they knew their scripture about the baby to be born in Bethlehem, yet they are completely indifferent. Look at verse 3. Matthew says, When Herod the king heard this, the news about Jesus, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Again, let's keep in mind what's happening here. The wise men have come from the east and they, they come to Herod and say, Herod, we hear that there's been someone who's come who's, who was born king of the Jews. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. And then notice at the end of verse three, all of Jerusalem with him was troubled. Now, why would all of Jerusalem with Herod be troubled? I mean, we knew why Herod was troubled, right? He was opposed to Jesus because Jesus was a threat to his throne. But why all of Jerusalem, including these religious leaders? Well, well, here's why. I believe it's because Herod is like mama. Let me explain what I mean. Y'all know the phrase, if mama ain't happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. Same goes for Herod. If Herod ain't happy, there ain't nobody going to be happy. If Herod's trouble, we're all in trouble. That's what they were thinking, and they were right. Herod was a wicked king. They wanted him happy, so nothing bad would happen. He got upset, and guess what? Something bad happened. The two-year-old boys died in that area and under. They were killed, put to death. They didn't want Herod upset. They feared man more than they feared God. If they feared God, they would have at least gone to check it out, right? But they feared what man could do more than fearing God, revering him. They didn't want anything radical to occur because they wanted Herod to be happy. So think about it. God is sending them a deliverer. He was sending the Jews their king. And you have these religious leaders in Jerusalem telling Herod whatever he needed to know, trying not to rock the boat in any way. They probably wanted life to remain right like it was, even though it could have been worlds better with Christ, right? They would rather have Herod happy and be a bit oppressed than to have someone new come in and have life as they know it disrupted. And I believe their mentality was similar to the Jews in the wilderness in the Old Testament. Remember, they were being oppressed by Pharaoh in Egypt and God miraculously delivered them out of slavery and bondage and they get out into the wilderness and God is leading them through his man Moses and the journey gets difficult and they begin to turn their hearts and their sights back towards slavery rather than to follow God by following his man and being obedient. They basically say we would rather be slaves in Egypt than to be out here. That's the attitude many of the religious leaders during Jesus' earthly ministry. They didn't want their boat rocked. This time we don't get the sense that they were opposed to Jesus just yet, openly opposed to him. They were opposed by being indifferent, but that would come later. But they seemed to be indifferent, wanting to stay in Jerusalem, keep themselves and Herod happy so that life would remain good. You know, there are some things in life that we can be indifferent about, right? Got kind of a silly example, but it's, uh, I'm a football fan. It's a good time of year for football fans with all the bowl games going on. A few weeks ago, they announced all of those, and though I'm a hardcore football fan, I love watching football, I have to be honest with you, there are some games I could care less about. Uh, One was played yesterday in Orlando, Florida, it was the, the... AutoNation Cure Bowl, and it's uh, Western Kentucky versus Georgia State, and I think Georgia State won, I think. I, I just looked it up because I wanted to make sure it was played yesterday because I, I couldn't remember, but I'm indifferent toward that game. I mean, they could have canceled that game yesterday, and I wouldn't have lost a, a bit of sleep over it, okay? There are some things that we can be indifferent about, things we should be indifferent about, things we're not that we should be, Right? Some things we take too seriously that we shouldn't, but there are other things that that we should should never be indifferent about. Like, for example, if someone were to attack someone in my family, I'm not just going to say, whatever, you know? You'd be shocked if I was that way, right? Believers, we cannot be indifferent when it comes to Jesus. You cannot come away from a guy like Jesus and say, you know what, I don't really feel one way or another about him. You can't do that. The claims made about him, the claims that he made are just way too radical. He claimed to be God. He accepted the title as God. He claimed to be the Savior of the world, the only way to be made right with God, the the, the way he forgave sin and, and the only rescue for sin. You can't come away from a guy like that who made those kind of claims and say, whatever, I'm indifferent couldn't care one way or another you can't do that remember the psalm by the doobie brothers jesus is just all right bet you weren't gonna weren't expecting to hear them brought up this morning <laughs> y'all remember that you can't have that kind of response to jesus his life and his teachings are too extreme too radical to leave one in a state of indifference so i want to encourage you this morning If you're here and that's sort of your mentality, whatever, you're you're neutral. You feel as if you are when it comes to Jesus. If you say, you know what, I'm not opposed to him, I don't have any issue with him, but I'm not really on board with him and, and other Christians. Jesus is just all right. I urge you to reconsider that and consider the claims made about Christ and that Christ made about himself, and I encourage you to respond to that with repentance and faith in Jesus and know that Jesus himself said, if you are neutral toward me, you're against me. Scriptures are very, very clear that God is just as opposed to people who are indifferent toward him as he is to people who are opposed to him, who who openly reject him. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me, that's it. That's the only two camps you can fall into with Him, in Him, or against Him. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you haven't, side with Christ. Don't stand against Him by remaining neutral toward Him, but instead place your trust in Him alone for your salvation. Well, we've seen two responses negative to Jesus. Now let's look at a positive one. Let's end on a positive here. We have the wicked king who rejected Jesus the indifferent religious leaders who didn't care about Jesus. Now let's end by talking about the wise men who worshipped Jesus. The wise men worshipped Jesus. Now who are these wise men? Well, we've talked a bit about them already. I'll give you a a little background. Uh, You can do some more study this week. I would encourage you to do that on, on the background of these guys. Some... Translators refer to them as magi, others as wise men. The Greek word is magoi, which literally translated means magicians. They were known to be magicians, astrologers, dream interpreters, which is why in some translations they're just referred to as as wise men. And they're the ones in this story who stir this whole thing up, right? Verse 1, we're told they come from the east. Many believe that to be Persia. We don't know for sure. Tradition says there were three because there were three gifts that were brought, but we don't know that either. We we know there was more than one. There could have been two, could have been more than that, ten or more. We don't know. For sure, but the main point is this: Look at how they respond. Look at Matthew chapter two, verses nine through twelve. Matthew tells us this: After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they. Fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts: gold and frankincense and myrrh. Verse twelve. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Notice here how they respond. Verse ten says they were overjoyed. Verse eleven. They bowed down and worshiped him and brought him gifts. Verse 12, they responded to God and protected the child. When they're told in the dream not to return to Herod, they respond by going home another way. Notice their response. They they sought Jesus. They, They give to him. They respond to him. They worship him. Listen, I want you to get this. This is so key. There is great irony in this story. The irony is this, the people who are closest to Jesus are opposed to him, and the ones who are furthest away are the ones who come to worship him. You see, the religious leaders in this day were very, very close to Jesus, both in terms of proximity and in in terms of their beliefs, religiously. They're about six miles away. They were Jewish, like Jesus. Very close to Him in this way. They were descendants of Abraham. They, like Jesus, knew God's Word, claimed to be followers of the one true and living God. They were were very close to Him in this way. And yet the irony is you have these... Wise men who are a world away from Jesus in proximity and completely different from him religiously. They're magicians and astrologers, yet they're the ones who come and bow before Jesus and worship him. Very, very clear and simple application to be made here by us. I'm well aware in both services there are people who come on occasion, maybe Sunday after Sunday, who don't know Jesus. Some who come here every week who are lost. Close to him. In terms of, of proximity, you, you come and, and the word of God is being preached. The, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus is being proclaimed. So you're, you're close in terms of proximity. Maybe you grew up learning about Christ in the home. You grew up in the church. You've continued to attend church in your teens and maybe even into your adult life. Maybe you're close to Him in terms of your beliefs. Maybe you grew up hearing these stories from Scripture and you would say that you believe the fact Facts to be true about what is taught in scripture you believe the facts to be true about jesus but you have never bowed the knee to king jesus you've never made him the lord of your life you've never come to the point in your life when you've turned over the reins and transferred your trust from yourself to the savior maybe that's you If I'm speaking to you this morning, I have a very simple, clear, and true word for you that may hurt to hear, but I have to say it because you have to hear it. Listen, close won't cut it. It won't. Close comes nowhere close to cutting it. It doesn't. You cannot be close to Jesus in terms of proximity and beliefs. You've got to be one with him in faith. That's the gospel. You've got to get up off that little throne of the kingdom of self, and you've got to put your crown down, and you've got to bow the knee to King Jesus. Give your life to him. Jesus asked nothing less than that of you. Make him Lord of all. That's the only response to him that saves. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is this. Where are you in relation to Jesus? What is your response to him? Are you you cold toward him? Are you opposed to him like Herod in this story? Or... Are you like the religious leaders of Jesus' day who were close in proximity? They, they were close religiously, but remained indifferent because they didn't want their life of comfort to be disrupted. Maybe that's where you are, because Jesus will disrupt your life, but in the best way possible. Or is your response like that of the wise men this morning? You say, You know what? I'm willing to do whatever it takes extreme measures to get to Jesus. I'm willing to sacrifice to go be with Him. I'm willing to take all I have and give it up and over to Him. I desire to bow before Him and worship Him and am ready to risk my life to serve Him. Who are you in this story? The good news we learn in this text today is, get this, this is great, it doesn't matter how far away you are from Christ you can come to Him. You can be forgiven and restored to God. doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how far you are away from Jesus. You can come to Him, and I urge you today, if you have not, if you are not, if you're not trusting in Him, I, I urge you today to respond like the wise men in this story. Come to Jesus. Believe on Him and be saved. Let's pray.